Hi, everybody. I'm Ralph Benmergi. Welcome to Yehupitzville, where we take a look at the far-flung communities from coast to coast to coast in this fine country of ours, Canada, that have Jewish people in them. Um, you know, we talk a lot about Jewish life in Canada, and most of the time people are thinking about Toronto or Montreal or maybe Winnipeg, maybe a little Vancouver. But there are Jewish people who live all across this country, and this podcast uh, from the Canadian Jewish News, from CJN, is here to uh, explore that kind of reality. And I want to start by talking to a dear friend of mine who comes from, well, let's say a very small Jewish community out in Saskatchewan, in Moose Jaw, the one and only Mr. Humble Howard, Howard Glassman. How are you, sir? I'm always uh, great when I get a chance to talk to you, Ralph Ben Mergi. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Um, okay. So Moose Jaw right now has about 31,000 people in it, but it's got a very interesting history and, and, and including people like Al Capone and tunnels underneath it and all that. Oh, yeah. But uh, I want to see it and hear it and feel it from your point of view, from being, a, well, first of all, what was your family doing in Moose Jaw? Why were they there? Uh, well, that's a great question. It's funny. I, I, uh, had ho I hosted a Jewish comedy competition online i've done it for a couple of years but i hosted it recently for one of the synagogues here in toronto it was actually the harvey atkin comedy festival in honor of uh, the late harvey atkin and uh one of the things i do in my act is i tell people i'm a jewish guy from moose john of course as soon as i say that the first question every jew the first thing that goes through their minds is there's jews in moose jaw and then yeah. of course the follow-up joke is there's a chinese food restaurant for every jewish person in the city um <laughs> What were my parents doing there is a great question. When I was born in 1960, there was approximately 250 Jewish people, a little synagogue, a community, a rabbi, enough Jews to be observant. You know, I know, you know, you know, I don't, I don't practice, but my parents were fairly observant. We, you know, did all the high holidays and did that in Moose Jaw. By the time I was 13, though, in 1973, I was the last you want to talk about the last airbender. I was the last Jewish man, boy, boy, man, bar mitzvah in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. It's 1973. And by the time I got to my lessons for my Haftorah, uh, the synagogue had closed down. So I had two things I did every Sunday for whatever that last six months. I drove to Regina and I went to Hebrew school. I don't think you knew that about me. I went to Hebrew school at the synagogue in Regina, and then I went to lessons at the back of a junk shop. Mr. Mr. Katz was the only guy who in Moose Jaw could teach me my lessons, and I took my lessons uh, from him, I guess, the last few months learning my Haftorah. And so what my parents were doing there, like a lot of Jews, is that they were, they came from Winnipeg. Uh, my mom and dad's mom and dad are all from Russia. So Russia to Winnipeg, Winnipeg to, you know, sort of Western Canada. Lots of Jews stopped in Regina, Saskatoon, Calgary, and a few of them stopped in Moose Jaw. And what did your father do for a living? What do you want? Do you want to guess? <laughs> do you want to? <laughs> he had a uh, menswear store, of course. <laughs> <laughs> he had a schmata. And, and, you know, it's funny because my dad, it was him and just two other guys in the store. It was a tiny store and... I think one of the reasons my father was so encouraging for me to do whatever I wanted, because I know he hated doing what he did. You know, my dad's story is a Jewish odyssey of, you know, it's a very circuitous route that took him to Moose Jaw. But um, by the time I was 
in my early teens, the only, there was probably maybe 25 or 30 Jewish people left. And um, most had moved away. All the kids had moved away, my brothers included. And by the time my father passed away in 2006, I don't think there was more than a handful of Jews left in the city. So when you were growing up as a kid in Moose Jaw, um, were you really aware of being different? Or did you just feel like, no, this is a completely normal way of life? I was acutely aware in the 60s in uh, Canada, you know, a lot of your listeners will recall that we began every day with the Lord's Prayer. And so from an early age, you know, my brothers don't have the same experience because they went to school with a lot of the kids that they went to Hebrew school with. There was a Hebrew school that was a thriving community. So I didn't have that experience. I always felt different starting with the Lord's Prayer and then gusting to being the only kid that in my, I didn't have anybody else that didn't celebrate Christmas. We were the only family on the block that didn't have a lights outside. I, uh, you know, again, I refer to this in my act quite a bit. I said, you can always tell it was easy to find our house around Christmas time. Cause it was always like lights, 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 Jews, lights, 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 <laughs> you know, and, and I'm going to tell you a story that it's true. And it, and it, it, at the time I didn't realize it was, uh, like, I think it really affected me. I always felt a little bit outside of the norm because I remember telling my friends when I was little, like lying to my friends that I, we didn't cause they didn't know what a Jewish person was. And, and, and there was also, if they did know what it was, they knew, they knew of it in a negative way. But I remember telling my friends that my, my the reason we didn't celebrate Christmas is that we couldn't afford it. Wow. And, and imagine that. Imagine as a kid, I was more comfortable telling my friends that we were too poor than that we were other. And I think I've said this to you before. When I started doing stand-up, and I remember who those guys were, guys like Howard Busgang, Simon Rakoff, Lou Eisen, Jeremy Hotz. They were the first, imagine this, and I was in my early 20s, my first experience of being friends with Jewish men and, and women, but these guys taking me in because I was Jewish. That was my first experience. Right. And then Moose Jaw, it was the opposite. It was, it was the, the opposite. I always, and I was you always- had to hide it. I felt like a, a bit ashamed of it. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a shame in saying, uh, well, we don't have lights because we, we can't afford it. And you're shaming your... And even when you leave that little room, you realize you've you've actually diminished the way of life of your entire family, right? Yeah, and, and it's, you know, and it's sad sometimes when I look back on it and I think, you know, my now ex-wife, very good friend, but she's the... I'm the only one in my family that married a Jewish woman not married anymore, but very good friends. She was also had a different experience where she grew up in Montreal. She was part of a community. She never had that conversation with somebody being ashamed of being Jewish. You know, I went to all kinds of, I remember saying to my dad one year, Hey, you know, those lights we have on the outside of the house, you know, the outside, maybe we could make them red and green. <laughs> red and green this year. It's not blue and white. Yeah. Yeah. You know, can we just do something? So you, you went to Hebrew school in Regina, which is about like 40 minutes away. Yeah. Um, you had a bar mitzvah. Who was there? How many people were there? And uh, I thought you were going to go, you had a bar mitzvah, did some time, killed. 
Um, <laughs> I super every, killed. <laughs> I super killed. I crushed my bar mitzvah speech. Today I am a man. I'm going to do about 10, Rabbi, so just relax. I'll let you know. When I do that, you know, wrap me up. Um, well, I think I, you know, my obviously my mom and dad, and uh, I was going to say their side, all our side of the family from Winnipeg and our relatives from Calgary. We had some relatives from uh, the States that came. I didn't. You know, unlike the kids nowadays, the Jewish kids, a boy would have his friends from uh, the community, but also invite non-Jewish friends because right. they're because it's a melting pot. Everyone's got a different culture. Well, in my moose jaw, I was the only one. And so I recall not inviting any of my hockey buddies again because I just felt embarrassed by the whole thing. I felt. Yeah, I just felt a bit ashamed by it all. Wow. That's heavy. I mean, that's a heavy thing to just, I hope they don't notice. I hope they don't ask me. I hope, I hope I'm accepted. I remember being embarrassed that I was going to a, a guy in the, you know, this man was teaching me my hop tour in the back of a junk shop. It was just, the whole thing was a, a, a source of um, shadow for me. Yeah. And, and it wasn't until later, and again, I'm, I, I mentioned those guys because I know your friends. Well, you knew them very well before I did. Sure. But I just I never had a sense of being part of a community until I started doing stand-up where, you know, everyone's either Jewish or acts like they're Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're all complaining. Everything's a, a bitch, and they're always being, everything's pissy, and, you know. <laughs> But it's like you were like you were in a covert operation when you I was Jaw, right like I was underground in, I, yeah and literally yeah. Uh, <laughs> tunnels and all all um, exactly yeah yeah no what an interesting thing because it shapes you right so you're the outsider did you experience anti-Semitism all as, the time really oh yeah. I remember having uh, pennies thrown at me. I remember having a fight with a neighborhood kid who was calling me some names. And I, and I remember my brother pulling me off him. Um, not a, I, I wouldn't say it was the thing I remember most, but I definitely experienced it. I, I, I also experienced a lot of inadvertent anti-Semitism because people would tell Jew jokes in front of me and I would be sort of reticent to step in and say, you know, that's offside. I mean, kids are a lot, you know, we were talking about before we hit record, we were talking about the ages of our kids. You know, my children experienced a little bit of it because we grew up in, they grew up in Oakville, but there were other Jewish kids in their school. But I don't think kids nowadays would dare say the things to other kids that kids said to us when we were kids. Does so, that make sense? Yeah. But, uh, you know, was there a positive side? Was there, were there good and happy thing, feelings to being Jewish in Moose Jaw? They don't have to be. I'm just asking. No, I I, I paused because um, because I was considering what you're saying. <laughs> I know it's like, you know that is such a conversational weirdness. I sometimes when I'm because we because you're like me, we both talk so much that sometimes when I pause, people go, "You okay?" <laughs> what is it? Did you not understand the question? I said, no, I was just fucking thinking about it. Uh, there were, I would say this, my overwhelming take from being Jewish in Moose Jaw wasn't the happiest part of my childhood. It was a part of my childhood that I felt like was covering up for a lot of years. And I think it also shaped because I was so, I had such a negative experience being Jewish in a small town. 
and not not so much from others, but just how I felt about myself, that it shaped how I felt about religion in general. And again, the height of irony for me is that I had that experience, yet, you know, the first Jewish woman I dated, I married. Right. I felt such, uh, and still do, I didn't realize how much of a connection I have to being Jewish until I was around it. So when you were younger, did you reject, did you, like, walking away from Moose Jaw was walking away from being Jewish because you didn't have to carry the burden anymore? You didn't have to be the the the, the outsider, the, the freak, as it were? Um, I don't know that I, it, it was like, I, I, was, I, I didn't have to cover it up anymore because I went to Vancouver, I moved from Moose Jaw to Vancouver, so right away there was a lot more Jewish people. It wasn't the only one. When you live in a town of 30,000 people, you know, in my high school system, there were four high schools. One of them was the Catholic school system where I'm just going to say this, where some, that's where the, re, the reputation of the, the sluttiest girls, Catholics, sorry, Catholics, it's just true. But there was one black kid in our school system and there was me, one Jewish guy. So I was in a weird way, even though I was a white guy in the minority, but when I moved to a bigger city, and then, you know, subsequently Calgary, Los Angeles, Montreal, Toronto. All of a sudden, being Jewish wasn't so odd. I was doing stand-up, so lots of the guys on the show. And I found that I had references. That's the thing I was really surprised about. That so, I, so. Well, I absorbed more of it than I... I think I absorbed more of it at a subconscious, familial level, so that when I'm you know, a little older and we have kids and we have the Passover and, and, and yeah, we're not super observant, but we're more observant than I was planning to be. And I really, I felt an affinity for it that surprises me sometimes. Mm. So it also must've shaped that, that comic thing, you know, you know, I better make this funny, you know, Christmas lights, 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 Jew lights, 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 right? Like you, yeah. in a way, uh, if you can't do that, then you have to become, well, on the other hand, you know, when you were younger, you had a lot more of that chip on the shoulder. I got to prove myself, show you, what, you know, nobody messes with me. Uh, and I, I, as I hear this, I keep thinking, well, that moose jaw would have shaped that as constantly being an outsider, right? Constantly feeling like at any moment somebody could say something and I was going to be the one, not, not just the brunt of the joke. I was going to be the only, if somebody said something about Judaism, I always shrunk a little bit because I know that there's a chance it's going to come back on me. Mm. And you know, when you're a kid, obviously, and, and it's, it got worse, you know, ironically, you have your bar mitzvah at 13 and the worst time for a kid in their lives about being outside of the group was that age, 13, 14, 15. So I really, as soon as I, you know, as soon as I wasn't, having to go to lessons and having to go to Hebrew school. And I was old enough to say no more of this. Uh, I couldn't get away from it fast enough. That being said, um, I, as I've gotten older and again, as I had a relationship, a family, etc. even though I'm no more observant now than I was before I met my now ex-wife, I definitely have more of an affinity. I'm more proud of it. I'm less, tolerant when somebody gives me some guff about being Jewish because they're, I feel now, I feel part of a community now in a way I never felt as a kid. How, tell me about leaving Moose Jaw. Like what was in you and what did you leave behind when you left there? 
you know, I always wanted to be a comic before I wanted to be a radio guy. I was like you. I always, you know, wanted to stay up and watch the comics on Ed Sullivan. So in my mind, I thought, well, if I'm going to do that, I got to get out of here because <laughs> this isn't funny at all. <laughs> um, um, and uh, I happened to stumble on radio locally and I got decent at it pretty quick and I got recruited almost within a few years to leave the city to go to Vancouver. And, and it my in my mind, I was going to go to Vancouver to be a stand-up comic. Hmm. Radio kind of got in the way a little bit, and then eventually it, it became my life. But leaving Moose Jaw for me was, you know, you, are you talking about in terms of Judaism? In terms of Judaism, to me, I was never going to bother with it again. And as I said, I, have, I was surprised in later in my 20s how much I had had absorbed about it. Yeah, so, but here's an interesting thing. You were trying to become, it sounds like, trying to become invisible as a kid in yeah. Moose Jaw, and then you get on local radio and become quite visible. Did that change your status in the community? Did it make it a little bit like, eh, you think you got me? Well, here I am. I don't know if it changed my status in the community. It was one of those things where, I, and I'm sure that yours is the same. You know, both of us have done... We had a similar, there's very few guys that I know that have had a very similar experience. We both did stand-up. We both have done television. We both did lots of radio. But when I first, when I first got on the radio, um, it surprised nobody. I mean, I was always a character. I was always like, you know, like in one of my yearbooks, it said Howard can talk his way into and out of everything, you know? Right. right. I mean, I, I'm sure that, the, that people's opinions of me were formed more by my personality as a local, you know, character, character than it was that it was a, he's the Jewish boy. I think a lot of what I experienced, you know, like a lot of people was, was a lot of it was happening only really in my mind because I wasn't ostracized. I wasn't, you know, there wasn't a lot of anti-Semitism. All the feeling of other came from me because I felt alone in that by the time I was old enough to kind of, like I say, both of my brothers are eight and four years older than me. Well, the eight-year-old brother of mine, he leaves Moose Jaw, goes right to Israel. The other brother, same thing, before university, right to Israel. You know, um, their experience was different. So their experience of having other Jewish kids to, you know, to bounce off of, Again, I, I fully acknowledge that a lot of what I felt and feel about that experience was something I was making up in my own story. Did your parents stay? Oh, yeah. All yeah, the way my, to the end? All the way. My father died in the house I was born in. When, when was that? 2006. My mother passed away really early. My mother had early onset Alzheimer's. Wow. So I was, uh, she passed away when I was 34 in 1994. And my dad passed away in 2006. But yeah, they stayed. So you would go back to Moose Jaw every Wednesday. Yeah. And, and my parents also observed, you know, like my mom would get an order, you know, the order from Winnipeg with the Streitz's everything, you know, mm -hmm. and we kept kosher during Passover. And, you know, we didn't have, you know, we, we didn't have ham growing up. We had bacon occasionally. But if Bubby came to town, we had to hide all that stuff. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, my parents were some, you know, pretty observant, not religious, but observant. Hmm, interesting. And was there any, uh, the synagogue itself, does it have any resonance for you? Because you did have your bar mitzvah in there, right? I did. Uh, the synagogue, which for the longest time was still there, it was bought by a 
a dance company and turned into a, like a studio for kids to learn to dance. I I don't know if it's still there. The last time I was at Moose Jaw was about four years ago. Why? And uh, I was just because my older brother has a, his best friend still lives there. And when I was in, I was in Saskatchewan for a golf tournament and uh, we, we just, we sort of um, planned to meet up in Moose Jaw for a couple of days. And usually I'd take a tour of where the synagogue was, my old high school, the street I was growing. But I just don't know if I, I can't recall if it's still there, but it was still there for quite a long time after. But I don't think it was a synagogue much after my last, uh, the, the, the last bar mitzvah boy. So when you go now, how do you feel in Moose Jaw? Good. You know, like I've been back a few times. You know, you'll love this. I, uh, I hosted the high, our high school's 100th year um celebration right. and that was only like 10 or 12 years ago so by that time you know i've got a you know people know who i am and i've got a profile and it was like i you know it was like uh you know it'd be like letterman i, I please excuse the uh i don't think i'm like letterman but it was kind of like uh letterman going back and hosting something at his local thing it was great for I, you know i super killed just telling you right <laughs> now. i super killed yeah but um, that must have been a hell of a nice feeling oh yeah oh but, yeah right but, like i mean from a guy who, who wanted to disappear to the guy who they say would you please host our 100th anniversary so all of yeah. a sudden you're an honored citizen is there any irony in any of that for you or do you <sighs> yeah. just take it and accept it I think there was some time, you know, you met me a long time ago when I was a bit chippy, as you say. <laughs> I think I had, I carried that around for a long time. Like, I'm going to show you people, you know. But at some point, I think by the time 10 or 12 years ago had come around, I'd already gotten enough, you know, moose jaw, whatever. You know what I mean? Like, I've been back in the area. I was on some, I did a couple of TV things for CBC and Regina. Um Shortly after my father passed away, there's a uh, beautifully uh, refurbished 500 seat soft seat theater they have there and they get decent acts. And uh, some guys I know from here, Murray McLaughlin and Ian Thomas, were doing their lunch at Allen's thing and found out I was going to be I was there for some reason. They said, hey, you want to host this thing for us? And so I came out and did 20 minutes in front of Moose Jaw people. And so I'd already had enough of the. Hey, you did all right there, little Jew boy. <laughs> you know, I already had that. I'd already won that fight or whatever. I'd long, I'd sort of given it up. But yeah, it was nice. I, I, I still get, um, you know, the odd person will reach out to me. Hey, I heard you on this thing, or I saw you on yeah, that's a that nice show. Thing. And they got, they got uh, Air Force training out there. Do they? Not? Yes, you have to be moose you're, you're a pilot, so you yeah. know what? It's funny you say that because the Snowbirds are one of the most you know, revered, world-class, aerobatic uh, teams in existence. And when you're a moose jaw kid, you just think, oh, there's those guys flying around. <laughs> like, <laughs> I had no idea they were famous outside of moose jaw. They train there and they're, they're stationed there, right? Yeah, they are. In fact, a lot of people don't realize a lot of foreign countries pay our government uh, money to allow their air force to come and train at CFB moose jaw. Yeah, NATO. There's NATO forces there, right? There's NATO forces, and there are uh, some countries on the down low will have their pilots come get their uh, jet ratings at uh, CFB. And there's tunnels underneath it which were used f- to to keep Chinese immigrant labor, slave labor, basically to build the railroad, but then also uh, bootlegging, right? Well, that's the the 
That's the, the myth? legend of the, they called it Little Chicago, don't you know? Yeah. That's right. Al Capone would come up to Canada on the line. The, the, the and he's super killed. Yeah. He's super killed. <laughs> so the legend is he came up there hiding uh, from the cops, don't you know? And uh, I don't, whether, whether it actually happened or not, that there's these tunnels underneath the town that have become a bit of a tourist attraction. And, uh, and there's a spa. There is a, a natural. That spa wasn't there when I was a kid. They, they came up with that scheme. <laughs> I, thought they, I, I think the story is they were looking for oil and they hit this hot spring instead. Yeah. So, so now they have a spa. So and, they, and they have a casino. That's where the uh, little theater is adjacent to. Wow. Um, it's, you know, it's funny you ask me what I, what I feel like when I go there now. Now it's all nostalgic and the wonder years. And, you know, from time to time when I have these conversations about being Jewish in Moose Jaw, I'm like, oh, yeah, that was a pretty weird time as a kid. But I, I don't, you know, I don't, like I said, I don't think a lot of it was put upon me. It was just what I felt. Well, but on the other hand, you know, being different when you're a kid is hard. I mean, kids kids want to fit in. They don't want to be the one who isn't. Right? That's right. And, you know, you described it at the beginning as a shadow, right? Yeah. So, you know, but to acknowledge that is not to say that it was all horrible and all of that. It's just, it's just so different to be the outsider, to be the different one. Um, I remember going to the University of Alberta in, in uh, the 70s uh, and bumping into kids there. And then they find out I was Jewish. This is in Edmonton. And I was the first Jewish person they'd ever met. Right? They'd, oh, I've never met a Jewish person. Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden, you're responsible for everything that is a Jewish person. Yep. Right? That's a great way of putting it. I felt like I was responsible. I was representing yeah. Jews at Palliser Heights in Moose Jaw. <laughs> so if you spit on the sidewalk, Jews spit on the sidewalk. If you, if you uh, get in a fight, Jews fight. You know? That's right. So it, it, it's all that. Uh, what would you say to people who live in small town uh, Canada who are Jewish, who let's say they've just moved there, they want to get out of the big cities. What, what would you, what would you tell them? What wisdom could you share that would help people to, to make a life as Jewish as they wanted or not wanted in a small town in this country? Well, I don't know if I have any wisdom to share other than to say that I think life in, in small and large places, life is so much more homogenized than it was when you and I were growing up. Like you, you wouldn't, it would be hard to find a place where you would be the first Jewish person to, somebody would meet. Even in some of the small communities around Moose Jaw, you know, like there's a, a, a very vibrant French Canadian community in Gravelberg, Saskatchewan, mm. you know, a few thousand people, all of them are French. You know, there are small community, there are small enclaves of different cultures all over the prairies, huge Ukrainian cultures, etc. I would say that somebody moving to a small town now, Moose Jog, for example, you would find more in common with people than not, I think. Mm. Whereas you, well, me for sure, I had less in common in grade six. Again, when you're the only kid in your school that doesn't celebrate this biggest holiday ever, uh, in culture at least, it, it's a weird feeling. I don't think you, I don't think kids are made to feel that way anymore. And you can call it, can't, you know, that's why when people talk about, well, cancel culture, why can't we celebrate Christmas? Because you know, not everybody does. Right, right. Okay. 
Not everyone does. It's, it's, you know, I, I remember I was uh, shooting a, a documentary series about Israel and we arrived uh, on Christmas Eve and we went to Bethlehem, which is Palestinian Christian city, basically, in terms of the majority, uh, on Christmas Eve. And there was jingle bells in Arabic, you know, there was all this going on and it was great. But the next morning I'm shooting uh, just north of Tel Aviv uh, and I'm looking around and I'm thinking, why do I feel so weird here? And I realized there wasn't one outward sign of Christmas Day. There were no Christmas Day lights. There was no sales going, (laughs) you know, starting tomorrow. It's nothing. And and I was in a totally different dominant culture. And there, you know, Rosh Hashanah would be something. Pesach would be, but not this, right? I think, and again, not to be dramatic about it, but I think it's what a lot of Black Canadians and um, African-Americans feel when they go to a predominantly African country for the first time, right. where, where all of a sudden you're not in the minority where the majority are like you. And that's why I say, I, I know I, I, I've, I've told those guys that I mentioned, Simon and Lou and these guys, they were my first Jewish friends. And we weren't even that good of friends. Hots and I became good friends, but they were the first Jewish chums I'd ever sort of had. And I was always grateful for that experience because it was a weird thing where all of a sudden they're like, hey, come with us. So I would say that, you know, in, in terms of now, if you move to Moose Jaw or Regina, you know, the, the, you, would, you would find your culture represented. You know, like I was driving around City Hall here in Toronto. They've got at Christmas time now, they always have the menorah. Right. Well, there was no acknowledgement when you and I were growing up in the prairies, at least where I grew up. Yeah, yeah. Listen, it's been absolutely great being able to just get a glimpse of what your life was like in Moose Jaw. I really appreciate you being open and honest about it because, you know, people sometimes they just take out the candy and say, it was fine. We did okay. <laughs> you know, it was great. It but- was, we were comfortable. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Are you rich? No, I'm comfortable. Yeah, no, but it, but it's uh, it's a real eye opener when you realize you know how many people grow up uh, of of any faith or, or of, of any creed uh, and have a difference because as children it's much more uh, painful to be different and you got to figure out who you are and what you are, especially uh, when later on in life you reconnect with it. You have to have come from someplace, and you came from someplace. You know, when you when you bumped into those comics, you already had a Jewish character. You already had a Jewish conversation in your head. You were just finding other people you could finally share it with. So very cool. Well, as as always, I love talking to you about anything in this particular subject. You and I have had a lot of conversations about it since we reconnected. And, you know, again, one of my one of the things I love about you is our ability to kind of, you know, we have similar references and, and I enjoy having the ability to share that with someone like you is so, you know, insightful, funny, intelligent, but also, you know, you can say a thing about being Jewish with other Jewish, you know, people and you get a smile out of it, you know? Right. I've told you this privately. I've, I've enjoyed my time doing these shows for Jewish audiences in a way I never knew I would, you know, it's really been fun. I've just, uh, because all of a sudden you realize, wow, man, I have a lot of references that a, you know, a, a regular group isn't going to get. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know, Tim Horton, cinnamon bagel right away. You're, you're like, what, what are you doing? 
Why on earth would you do that? Why would you put, that's not a bagel. That I, 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 or, you know, that there are certain jokes that, you know, I can't, there's certain jokes I would do for, you know, all audiences, but there's certain jokes you just know that are going to go over better with Jews. And I was doing this competition, as I told you, and I had written this joke about the space laser lady, you know, the Marjorie Taylor Greene saying Jews, you know, started the, the forest fires. And I said, there's no way Jews have space lasers because if we did, we'd never shut up about them. <laughs> You'd never hear the end of it. Called space lasers. Of course, we have lasers. Have you seen the lasers? <laughs> I've got I one I out to... back. I gotta go get, get it for you. It's a I good think one. I went to school with the laser. He had a hat. <laughs> That's right. Uh, All right, Mr. Glassman. Thank you. My sir. pleasure. Humble, uh, humble, and Fred is the name of the uh, the podcast. Right? Yes, now a podcast. Yes, ten years of podcasting. So humbleandfredradio.com. People can find it there. Yes, please and thank you. Anytime. Howard Glassman, part of Humble and Fred and Humble Howard himself. A, a, a moose jaw, a, what, moose javian? Is that what you're called? Yes, moose Jew. <laughs> moose Jew. You take care of yourself. Thank you, Ralph Ben Mergy. Anytime. Yehopitzville is the name of this podcast. I'm Ralph Ben Mergy, and we'll see you soon.